The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's to stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on I, the same I, side. No, not at all. And, and look how nice we are to each other. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. It's like you know what. What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be blind sheep. We're supposed to be brands. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Okay, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Yesterday we had on Brent Detweiler. Um, we went for two hours on that one. I'm, you know, probably won't go quite as long today. Um, but, um, it, before we get started, for, um, for everybody, if you guys can, uh, make sure you guys like us here on Facebook. That way you guys can be notified when we do more of these live, uh, podcasts. And then, um, go over to YouTube and subscribe there because, uh, everything that we record here live, We'll be going straight up over to YouTube as well. And again, it just helps you to stay in the loop, um, helps us to kind of have an idea of where we're at in the sense of with, uh, you know, who's following and, um, and just that, that, that sort of thing. But, uh, I'd really like to, um, I'm really happy to welcome Derek Manning to the podcast. And, um, he, he recently wrote an article for the GK. Um, and, but I'm really excited for you guys to hear his story and that sort of thing. So welcome to conversations, Derek. I'm glad we could, glad we could do this. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. And, you know, and I think, I think one of the things that's interesting about, about you and your story is that, you know, now obviously like you're a solid Christian, you've got, you know, biblical theology and that sort of thing, but you came out of one of the cults of Jehovah's Witness, um, I think it'd be, it'd be great to kind of hear your story, um, and how God kind of worked through that experience to kind of bring you up to where you are today. Sure. Um, I was adopted into the, into a Jehovah's Witness family. Um, they were both my parents, uh, were second generation witnesses. So I would have been a third generation witness and, uh, all of my family, with the exception of one aunt and cousin, are Jehovah's Witnesses. So, then um, they're still involved to some extent or another. Uh, maybe not as heavily as like 
my father is uh, still, although he's getting up there. But uh, that's what I was raised as. Um, didn't celebrate Christmas, didn't celebrate birthdays, uh, nothing like that. Uh, flag salute was, was the big issue uh, growing up, uh, going to school. First day of school, my dad would you know, take me in and give the give the uh, the spiel to the teachers about how you know, we're you know, we're Jehovah's Witnesses and we don't salute the flag, and so it's like right away you're ostracized from something. You know, um, that was the first time I ever felt ostracized from anything, and it's it's an ugly feeling. You know, even at even now at, at 52. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still get that. You, you know, it's just it's just an ugly feeling. But um I was raised in that environment. That's all I knew going door to door. Um and uh talking to different people. In the twenty years that I was actively involved as a Jehovah's Witness, that meant attending meetings, going out in the field service, basically knocking on people's doors uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, I only came across one Christian who could actually uh, defend what she believed. And it was that Christian that actually started me on the road to wondering what is actually true about the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I, so I started looking into things, and um, this was – I was about – 15, 16, I guess, at that time. Uh, and I started uh, researching, going back into the older publications. So my father had all the publications going back into the into the mid-50s when he started. And uh, I was just finding all kinds of changes, uh, contradictions, things like that, and would ask him questions, and he would just blow it off and just kind of say, well, well, I would say blow it off. Um, he would say, it's not important what the watchtower says. It's important what the Bible says. So my father, although he would be what I consider an organization man, somebody who was very much in tune with what was going on with the organization. Uh, and I'll give you more of his background in a little bit. Uh, his first, uh, Allegiance was to the Bible. Of course, it was the Bible as interpreted by the Watchtower. But uh, that always stuck out in my mind about him. Now, with my father, my father was always an elder, and that's uh, one of the uh, ruling members of a local congregation. And he held two positions uh, for the entire time that I was under in the household. And that was, uh, he was a what they call the presiding overseer, and he was also the watchtower study conductor. The presiding overseer, he was basically the liaison between the congregation, the other elders in that congregation, and the headquarters, which at that time was in Brooklyn. They have since moved to upstate New York. Uh, And then he was also the watchtower study conductor. So basically... His function, if I were to put it in a Christian lingo, would be senior pastor, okay. because he was he was in front of the congregation every week, uh, conducting the Watchtower study. So that particular uh, 
position was given to the elder that was considered the best teacher, which my dad was a very good teacher, very patient and everything. Uh, so that's his position. And he also uh, probably, well, actually he did become a, a substitute circuit overseer. Uh, a circuit overseer is a, a traveling uh, person uh who will oversee between 20 and 23 different congregations, visits those congregations twice a year. And when he's called away for a uh, vacation or schooling or a family emergency, whatever, then a sub- substitute circuit overseer would move in. Uh, he probably would have gotten into uh, becoming a circuit overseer, uh, but there were health issues with uh, my mother before she passed away. And, then uh, my stepmother, who developed uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and passed away uh, two years ago. So uh, now he's 86. But, uh, we talk rarely, um, but uh, when we do talk, it's pretty perfunctory fun- and not a whole lot of depth. Right. But that's just because he's. Uh, under uh, orders to not have anything to do with me outside of necessary business. So when he does talk to me, it's just about that. And then it's off. And then it's like, well, I wish you would come back. And then hang up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, that, that that seems to be a consistent thing when you, when you hear about the cults in general, you know, like you hear about Scientology, you hear about, you know, like your story, you hear about, you know, different organizations like that. And it seems like they all have that disassociation part of their religion. Can you kind of talk about what that's like within Jehovah's Witness? Yeah. In, uh, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's, um, called disfellowshipping or disassociation. Disfellowshipping is actually initiated by the congregation elders. Disassociation would be the person removing himself from being a Jehovah's Witness. In that situation, they are cut off from all contact with other Jehovah's Witnesses, except uh, in the case of a family member, then it's uh, essential con- uh, essential contact only. Uh, and even then, it's, it's not even that. I just uh, heard from uh, a Facebook friend of mine who has a Facebook uh, ministry and a, and a in a internet ministry, and he just found out that his mother had passed away uh, a month ago. And then we had the same thing happen with uh, Leah Remini on Scientology, and her father passed away also a month ago, and she just found out about it. And so they cut you off uh, from any kind of uh, meaningful contact. Uh, the general rule is called shunning. The, the Amish call it shunning. Uh, and it's it's ugly. It's a very ugly thing because uh, I don't find that sort of behavior in the Bible. Uh, to me, in 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 the in the Pauline epistles where he talks about the uh, individual who is sleeping with his stepmother, I believe it is, uh, in First Corinthians, it always seemed to be from my reading that it was cutting him off from communion with the saints, not from life in general. And that, that being cut off from the communion, uh, was to form the basis for his repentance. And and that's what it was. It was a, 
an avenue to get the person to repent. It's not an avenue to punish the person, and which is what shunning actually does now as it's employed by the cults and other high-control religious uh, organizations. It's to punish people uh, and not to really elicit any kind of repentance. And that's what is uh, very um, disturbing to me, that we have churches, uh, good churches in Scarecrows, uh, that are practicing shunning. And one particular person, a uh, high-profile preacher who I don't want to name because I don't want to get called out for always naming this particular preacher, <laughs> but he is called for that kind of approach from his own pulpit uh, with regards to uh, a, uh, a child that would come out and identify as a homosexual or lesbian or whatever other current popular politically correct term is is now uh so i don't think that that's really biblical to be doing that uh and i think the catholic church does have it correct when they they call it excommunication in which you are excommunicated from the church you cannot engage in any of the of the practices in the church and you cannot engage in communion with the, in the church uh but you're not completely shunned from your family and that's one of the few things that i do like about the catholic church <laughs> but yeah. it's it's a it's a thing that um again it's to elicit repentance not to put not it's not it's not a, a punitive uh measure right yeah you know? right and, well you, you know i think i think i think with that i think i think a lot of churches calling it church discipline i think is misleading to what it actually is. The, see, the goal is to actually bring restoration. The goal is to bring <laughs> repentance. So there's like multiple steps, and each step is going through the process of trying to bring that person to repentance. And then essentially when you get to the last step and you go before the congregation and that sort of thing, that person's heart has to be so hardened and unrepentant that right. now you're treating them as an unbeliever. You're not treating them as somebody you can't ever associate with. You're treating them as the lost. And so now we need to reach them with the gospel and bring them back and trying to bring them back into the fellowship and bring them back into biblical Christianity. And that's where I think a lot of churches do get it wrong and kind of go down the route of the cults is that they, they take church discipline as we're going to kick you out and never talk to you again. And that's the problem, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, and that's a very powerful uh, negative motivating factor. It, it, when you when you sit down and, and and let's say in my case where all I knew was the Jehovah's Witness religion, and all of my friends were Jehovah's Witnesses, and all of my family uh, were Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, it's very scary to say if I make this decision. I'm never going to be able to talk to my family ever again. Uh, and the only way that I was able to make that decision was after I got saved. Because prior to that, to it, it was totally unconscionable for me to do that. And uh, what it was was uh, a particular message of that uh, we're, we're – Jesus was was saying, you know, if you if you love 
or uh, you, you can bury your father. He's telling the the, the, the rich young ruler, you know, to, he says, I want to bury my father. And he says, what, let the dead bury their dead. And he goes on, he says, you know, for every, if you lose your father in this world, you gain a thousand times, you know, a thousand more fathers in the next world. And that's where it, the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to me and said, look at you're giving up this, but you're going to get all that. And it was at that point where I was like, yeah, okay. And I made the decision and, and, and officially um, let everybody know that I was done. <laughs> yeah. So, so, that so, what, was, so what was it specifically that, that kind of like uh, that God used to actually open your eyes? So like, you know, was it a particular teaching? Was it somebody like disproving Jehovah's Witness? Was it just the gospel? Like what was it specifically that you feel like, okay, that was kind of my turning point that God used to bring me to salvation? There were uh, a, a couple of things. Uh, the first one was this one particular woman that I had run across in the uh, in the door-to-door work on a Saturday morning and she just was not vicious, but very forceful, but loving. And she had just said, you only do what your governing body tells you to do. You only believe what your governing body tells you to believe. And I, and I just registered like, wait, I think what she's saying is correct. And so that started me looking through things. Um, then I got placed into a college prep English class, and they actually were teaching critical thinking in that class my senior year of high school. And so learning how to think critically on issues, that started another ball rolling. And then uh, one night, one Saturday, I was watching TV, and I ran across – uh, the John Ankerberg show, and there's this funny little man with this big wooden cross named Walter Martin, and they were uh, he was uh, having a, a faux debate with a former Jehovah's Witness by the name of Lori uh, Gregerson, and that just I went okay this is this is I've never seen this before and I've got to see this, and I watched every all the episodes I think it was like. 10 episodes. I spent 10 weeks watching this and going, this is really interesting. Um, when I finished high school, I moved out here to Southern California and then uh, went into a couple of Christian bookstores, got Walter Martin's book, uh, Jehovah of the Watchtower, Kingdom of the Cults, and started reading through those and pretty much decided at that point, I've got a problem because this isn't true, but I'm not ready to leave uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I definitely don't want to be a Christian because the only Christian that I met in my life, uh, not on the door-to-door work, but this, she was actually a, uh, a teacher, was your stereotypical, uptight, school marm teacher that, you know, no fun, you know. Uh, I remember we were the the high school was putting it together a production of Grease, and so she was critical of it. And, well, this is the the wholesome girl is being corrupted, and this and I'm just looking at her going, yeah, you're not, yeah, this is that's not. Yeah. I don't want to be a Christian if that's what this is about, you know. And so 
uh, I kind of laid things aside for about five years. And at that point, I pretty much decided that Jehovah's Witnesses weren't where I needed to be. But I wasn't read, I didn't know where else to go, and I wasn't ready to go anywhere else. So I kind of lived my life as a functional atheist. And um, then in the early 90s, uh, I had hired uh, a young woman, and her father was an associate pastor of a church. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, if her father's an associate pastor, that means she should know what she's talking about. Sadly, she didn't know anything, but she kept saying, you need to talk to my dad or you need to come to my church or whatever. And, and then uh, I wasn't ready for that. But at the same time, I was listening to the Bible Answer Man. At that time, Walter Martin had already passed away and Hank Hanegraaff had taken over. And I was listening to that and feeding – the gospel was getting through to me on top of also listening to uh, – a number of guys on the radio, uh, most of whom are no longer on the radio, one of whom still is. And uh, they were all at that time considered very good teachers. Uh, and I was hearing all this, the, the, the true gospel, uh, what the Bible really teaches about different things. And I got to the point where it's like, well, maybe I really need to look into this. And at that time, that particular church was having an evangelist uh, by the name of Nicky Cruz. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, not not so much. Okay. He was a, a former gang member in New York City, that, and he was one of the first uh, converts of the ministry of David Wilkerson. Okay. So so he's written a book, and he had a – the, the, the book uh, made into a movie and so I knew who he was I had heard of him I had never heard his story or anything and uh, I walked into the church into a church building for the first time in my life uh, I thought I was going to like explode <laughs> and uh, he presented the gospel now granted this is a Pentecostal church and so and, and Nicky Cruz is a Pentecostal preacher so there was some Pentecostal elements uh a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, you know, very exuberant. And uh, the Jehovah's Witness worship service is a prayer, a song, and sit down. And that's it. Yeah. And so coming from, from that into this, it was culture shock. And I kept wanting to leave, but something inside of me kept saying, stay, stay, stay. And uh Nikki Cruz comes up and he starts giving his testimony and at the end he did give an invitation to come up and receive prayer and I remember sitting in my chair and I felt inside of me a battle uh, and finally I just said I've got to go down and at that point uh, you know I I did all the evangelical stuff, you know, receive Jesus, say this prayer, you know, raise your hand, all that. But that I, I knew that that wasn't what was what had saved me. I knew that I believed in, that Jesus had was uh, died, was buried, and raised from my sins, and that's it. And I believed that, and I knew I was saved at that point. Uh, so that was August 
18th of 1991. And uh, the next Sunday, I went to their church. I wasn't really sure. I got in touch with a couple people who uh, I had met. One specifically had a specific Jehovah's Witness ministry, ex-Jehovah's Witness ministry, over in the beach cities in L.A. And I went and talked to him, and he was like, you can go anywhere you want. And so that's, I decided to stay there. I stayed there for 20 years, Pentecostal, Word of Faith, everything. Uh, but I also started really getting involved in theology and wanting to know, okay, what is it that I agreed to? <laughs> and uh, and uh, became pretty pretty fluent in, in theology and, and uh, it was funny that as God was taking me through the different beliefs that I had every single one of them was getting uh, ejected. Beliefs that I had as a Jehovah's Witness, uh, beliefs that I gained from being in this church. The last, the last two were uh, the Word of Faith element and the Arminian element. Mm -hmm. so, how, so, how, how did how did how did God wake you up to those? Because I feel like oftentimes when you hear people talking, you don't usually hear people once if they become a Christian, let's say in the Pentecostal church or whatever it is. A lot of times you don't hear about people where they're like, I woke up to the fact of word of faith is wrong. I woke up to the fact that Armenianism is wrong. Like what what was what was it specifically there that God used to bring you out of those theologies, even though you were still inside the church? Um, I had run across the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and I'm reading that book and I'm like this sounds exactly like what I'm being taught <clears throat> and I started doing some more research and then uh, Hank Hanegraaff came out with Christianity in Crisis and I read that and I was like okay that's it this is this is for the birds so it was basically this Christianity in Crisis that really helped me out on that one as far as uh Leaving Arminianism, uh, that was just Bible study. I never really, I never read any theologian, any Reformed theologian, uh, until after I became a Calvinist, basically. Um, and uh, I always ha had one. I was kind of a four pointer for a long time, and then I came across. Uh, my, I consider my mentor, and he went through all five points, and then he said, "You need to read these books." Um, but at that point, I was pretty much a Calvinist and and done, you know, with that. And the only thing that I've ever that I've kept from my Pentecostal days is my charismatic or charismatic belief in the perpetuity of the gifts. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, that one, I have yet to see anybody. Uh, present a positive case for cessationism and I'm sure, I'm sure they're out there I just haven't found it right so yeah well you know like that that's that's the interesting thing with with me is you know because I'd be a Calvinist but I I would tend to be more on this on the cessationist side um, I don't feel like I'd go quite as far as some people do and say that there's never any miracles or there's never any you know anything along those lines. I just tend to more be the belief that I don't think that the the actual spiritual gifts have continued, but that doesn't mean that God's not going to work, right? 
Um, but I feel like though that kind of difference in theology shouldn't be like a, a make or break thing, like what we see a lot of times happening in the church, which is, which is quite interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 the, the elevation of the cessationist charismatic view to now being an essential is something that, that I'm really sad to see. Uh, I understand why cessationists are hesitant about the charismatic view. Uh, I had the same views also, uh, or the same concerns also. Uh, I also understand that I'm in, in, a very small minority of people who are actually saying, uh, this is how we're supposed to exercise the spiritual gifts in the church. It's supposed to be this way. You know, let's go to first Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13. That's how they're supposed to be exercised. No other way. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not a Pentecostal, but I am charismatic. So uh, I don't believe that they're, that the speaking of tongues is necessary as a sign that you've been baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it is uh, one of the things that, that happens. Uh, it, it's one of the gifts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I said, I understand why, because of the abuses that are out there and because of the, the, the craziness that's out there, but on the other hand, to to throw out the baby with the bathwater, to coin a phrase, uh, is completely ridiculous. Um, no, nobody did that before. I mean, you had uh, Whitfield and Wesley, who were kind were were at odds, but yet they still worked together. Um, all of the great revivals, the Welsh revival, uh, all the way down. I would even put a zoo's on there were things that, that, that were accompanied with, with signs and with miracles. Uh, Azusa street is kind of a, of a, of a weird one. Uh, while I consider it a revival, I, I'm, I still have questions about it. Um, but I, I'm not at the point where I'm completely throwing it away. Uh, you know, you had Dr. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown on the Brownsville revival. I would not consider that an actual revival, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't, I, I just don't find, I, I just haven't found yet. Like I said, a, a positive case for the cessationist view. And if it's out there and somebody has it, I'll listen. Um, and if you can convince my conscience and, and show by scripture that that's the correct view, then yeah, I'll, I'll move, I'll move towards it. I have no problem moving towards, uh, you know, ejecting doctrine. If, if it's, if what I believe is wrong, I've done that, uh, a lot of times. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> well, you know, like, I, I feel like that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the right attitude to have that I think we all need to have to a certain degree is, you know, clearly we all should believe what we believe 100% and be fully committed to it. But we also have to leave open the idea that 
because we're not perfect, we could be wrong on some particular things. And we could be wrong on our our favorite theologies or the things that we identify with the most. And we have to be open to being willing to change if we can be shown that scripture shows differently, I think. And th- and that's something that I think it, that I think is really missing right now is you know, I think that we should be able to engage more with each other and debate and you know, be open to the idea that we could be wrong. Um which I, so I think I I totally commend you for kind of having having that mentality. Um so the other thing I did want to ask you too was what's what do you feel like are some of the the major um uh, contrasts or differences between your experience in Jehovah's Witness and your experience within Christianity. So like when you're looking at um, how you lived your life before versus how you live your life now, what are what are some of the main differences um, between the two religions? Um, I think primarily is... Um, I live my life now uh, in a in a certain way because it's pleasing to God. Whereas in the past, I lived my life a certain way because if I didn't, I'd get thrown before the elders and possibly the fellowship. So uh, the fear aspect. Uh, now, as a Christian, it's it's it's. Uh, Evangelical obedience. I don't, I, I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. Um, although there are certain elements of, of the Christian lifestyle that you, you, you kind of have to do. Like I still I have to get up in the morning and pray. You know, I, I, that, that's always been a struggle for me. You know, uh, things like that. Uh, reading the Bible was never I, was not an issue with me. Uh, except for those sections in, in, in the Pentateuch that are just long and drawn out and all the, and all the genealogies. Uh, but, uh, where I had always struggled with, uh, was, was prayer. It just having that discipline and I still struggle with it. Uh, it's, it, it, it's never been, it's been a discipline that's been very hard for me to engage in. But, uh, now that uh, let's look at evangelism. I evangelize now because uh, I want to, as opposed to I, grad, I evangelize because I had to. I had to put in X amount of hours in order to keep the privileges that I had. And now it's like, you know, I, I evangelize because I see somebody and or I strike up a conversation with somebody and they're hurting. Uh, do some kind of ministry, find out where their stance is with God, and if if it's not, then I'll present the gospel to them. Uh, so there's that. Uh, going to church is not a chore. It's not something that again that I have to do in order to, uh, to punch a clock with God. It's something that I want to do because I want to be with the people of God. I want to fellowship with God. Uh, I want to hear the gospel. Uh, I don't necessarily go to church to hear a life-changing message. I go to church because I want to hear the gospel. and uh, Because I, I need to hear the gospel a lot. Because I forget. You know, uh, I'll get stuck in some kind of legalistic thing. And I need to hear the gospel to get me out of that. Or uh, 
maybe I've been a little too uh, libertine in something and I need to hear the gospel to, to get me back in line. You know, there, there's, there's that. Um, um, those are probably the biggest differences. Mm-hmm. It's just now uh, I'm joyful and you can tell a person is joyful by how they interact. And, uh, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, there was no joy. I had no joy. There was, I didn't know what joy was. Right. Yeah, I was happy, you know, but, uh, to actually get joy from, from talking to somebody about God, I get that now. I never got joy from talking to somebody about Jehovah or giving him a watchtower or whatever. So. Yeah. Now, now what, what, what is the gospel that, or like their version of the gospel that Jehovah's Witness teaches. Um, I mean, because clearly it's it's a false one. Clearly they're uh-huh. they're a cult. But uh-huh. what what is it that they are actually teaching that you have to do to be saved? Um, they are teaching that you uh, have to come to a, a correct knowledge of Jehovah God and His organization. You do that through a, a Bible study. Uh, which is not really a Bible study. It's a study of one of their books. I've been out for so long, and I've actually stopped following a lot of the things, so I don't know what their current uh, literature is in regards to that. Uh, But basically, uh, you... I think what it comes down to is when you get baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, you are asked two questions... uh, and they both center around that you are now identifying yourself as a Jehovah's Witness and that you will do the things that are required as a Jehovah's Witness. And that's that's it. Uh, so their version of the gospel, it's not really the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that uh, Jesus did die and he was resurrected. And only 144,000 of his followers are going to go to heaven, rule with him. The rest of you are going to stay here on earth and be ruled over. Okay. Uh, and it's all about works. It's, it's very much you have to work. You have to, uh, like I was saying before, uh, you have to put so many hours in field service. Uh, you have to attend the meetings and you have to do all this stuff and get the biggest difference between that and Christianity is Christianity is all about it's done. Jesus has died for you and his uh, blood has paid for your sins and you are now ransomed. You are free from the the penalty of sin. Uh, you will be gradually freed from the power of sin and then eventually you'll be freed from the presence of sin. So, uh, you know, you're justified, you're sanctified, and then uh, glorified, basically. So it's all about what Jesus did for you, and now it's not about what you can do for Jesus. It's, well, if he did all this for me, then, yeah, of course I'm going to, you know, do this. You know, it's like, uh, like, uh, you know, doing doing the— Mowing the lawn for your for your father, you know, you do it because you have to, or you do it because you you, you want to. 
you know, there were times, there were actual times where I wanted to help my father out, you know, and I would do that. And I think he appreciated those times more than when I, when he would say, go mow the lawn, you know? You know? And so, uh, I think it, 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 it comes down to that. It's, it's Christianity is, is Jesus has done this for you and that's it. Live your, you know, not, you know, not live your life any way you want, but live your life and be happy and, and have joy and, and do these things. Uh, yes, I've commanded you to do them, but you do them now because you want to. Yeah. Jesus said, yeah, do this, you know, go and make disciples yeah, it's a command, but you know what? I want to. I enjoy that, you know. And uh, whereas in the other way, it's go do it. All right, you know, and, and off we go. Get right. up at eight in the morning on Saturday and start pounding pavement. Of course, now they've got it easy. I don't know if you've seen them around with the with the carts mm-hmm. in your community. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them at the local shopping malls, just sitting out there. Yeah. I, they don't come to the door anymore. I don't know. I don't know if you, I, I live in a gated apartment, so I, I don't know what they've got now. What, if they even come by, mm-hmm. I very seldom see. I very seldom see them going from door to door on the street. Right. I just see them uh, uh, on the street corners with their little uh, thing, and that's like, I'm like, that's so easy. These people got it made compared to what I had to do. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, I think I think that. Um, excuse me. I think that it's really interesting how just dealing with even just with like evangelism and and that sort of thing how you know like dealing with the Jehovah's Witness they go out they go out and they evangelize you know historically they've always done door to door i feel like what's interesting about about a lot of the cults is that they actually go out and do a lot of evangelizing they're motivated they they do that kind of stuff clearly they're doing it for the wrong reasons but they're still going out and doing it and for whatever reason i feel like with us within christianity we kind of sit back and wait and let the uh let the pastors do the evangelizing why do you, why do you think that is that's a good question i don't know i i that's the one thing that i always always puzzled me in in the pentecostal church that i was at because the, the pastor would say you know bring your unsaved family to church and i was always thinking well shouldn't we bring saved people to church like let's go go out there present the gospel let them, let them uh, hear it, and if if it's God's time for them to uh, become born again, then He'll do it, and then you bring him, and then you bring him to church. But I, I think a lot of it is just to, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't want to impugn, I really don't want to impugn motives, but I, I, I think that there might be an element of audience building. You know, bring bring your unsaved relatives to church, uh, and, then, and then what? What what are they going to hear? They're not they're not going to understand what's going on. I'm going to have to sit here and explain everything to them. Not that I would mind, but uh, I'm going to have to to you know they're going to they I don't even know if they're going to hear the gospel, you know. Uh, the message might be on something completely different. Of course, you know, most good, good preachers will bring it around to the gospel, but they might, it might be a topical on something completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've always thought, you know, is, is go, uh, have them, uh, you know, talk to them, 
present the gospel to them. If God sees fit to save them at that point, then he will. And then, and then bring, them. you know, uh, I don't know. I, I've just, I've never, I've never really understood that. Uh, you know, fortunately I'm in a, in a, in a better, a better place now where that's not the focus. The focus is to feed the sheep, mm-hmm. not to bring, uh, in a mixed company. Right. Uh, of goats and sheep or potential sheep, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Not, not fully elected sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Now, now, re- now recently you had, you know, you had written an article and we posted it on the GK and you were, you were talking about um, some of the similarities that you've seen within Christianity and with your experience with Jehovah's witness. If you can kind mm-hmm. of explain kind of what, what you're talking about. Cause I think, cause I think a lot of times it, that can kind of get lost in translation when, you know, you're comparing Christianity to a uh, false religion, right? But, you know, if you could just kind of share some of the tactics that, that you're seeing pop, cropping, or popping up within the church that I think we should be careful of. Yeah. Well, I want to say that it's, uh, this is, I, I don't compare Jehovah's Witnesses to Christianity uh, in general. I would say that these are some tactics that specific churches are making and they maybe they've been taught this and they don't know any better or their ministry has grown to such a point that they have to do this kind of thing in order to keep people in line. Uh, but what, what does concern me about a lot of the churches that, that I mentioned, uh, is that there is, um, a power inequity that pastors all of a sudden have all this power. Senior pastors, maybe if it's, if it's a good church, they might have elders, but they have a lot of power and the person, the average person in the pew has none. And I don't, and I, and I found that to be the case as a Jehovah's witness. And I, don't believe that that's something that we should have in in a church setting. Uh, so, basically, what I talked about in my article was uh, mind control, and that's different from brainwashing. Brainwashing is done by somebody that the person on the receiving end uh, deems to be an enemy, whereas mind control is done by somebody who the person on the receiving end deems to be friendly. Uh, and it's done a number of different ways. And in the case of what I've seen in the cults and what I've seen in, in some churches now is the, the primary one is, is uh, loading language saying things that only people in the know understand. Um, there's the other big one. This, this is actually the biggest one just popped into my head right now. Um, is the dispensation of existence. And by that, I mean, if you don't believe X, Y, and Z and in that order and with no, and, and in block letters, not cursive, but exactly X, Y, and Z, then you're not a Christian. And that's what I'm seeing a lot in a lot of churches. 
And if a church can do that, just because you don't agree with uh, whatever their pet doctrine is, uh, then that's a problem because now you are throwing people out of the kingdom of God that you have no business throwing out uh, because these are people that are just saying, yeah, you know, I heard what you had to say and I don't agree. And here's why I don't agree. Well, then you're not a Christian. Well, uh, what, because I don't agree with you? Who died and left you king of the church? You know, I thought he was still on the throne reigning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the main thing that I'm seeing is this desire to just throw people out because they don't agree with you. And I take my cues from my my mentor who passed away a couple months ago, uh, Robert Morey who said that he does not use the heretic term lightly. He saves heresy for the big ones. Uh, everything else you can discuss, and I'm, you know, you can be concerned. Uh, you can be concerned about a brother's being an Arminian, uh, because if you take Arminianism to its logical conclusion, it leads to an, to the open view of God. Uh, you know, you can. And you can show your concern, but you don't throw them out because they're Arminian. You know, uh, I'll never forget uh, we were having an, uh, an open discussion on that. Somebody had us a question: What do you think about the heresy of Arminianism? And he just looked totally nonplussed and said, "There's no such thing. So it's a it's a it's a heterodox uh, view. We it's different, but it is accepted in the pale of orthodoxy." We don't agree with it as, as Calvinists, and here's why. But he never threw them out. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, uh, he would be, I would, he was, I would consider a light charismatic. He did believe in the gifts, but wasn't crazy. And he, uh, he just said that, you know, when it comes to the gifts, you know, this is what we, this is, we don't separate on this stuff. Just because somebody believes this, we don't we don't throw them out. And he was very and, and very careful about that. And I and I've tried to be very careful about who I consider a heretic and, and, and who I don't. Uh, so ultimately, if they deny the, the the essential doctrines of Christianity, then yeah, they're out. And I've just seen one person who has come out as a full preterist and that's heresy and can no longer have anything to do with that. Right. Right. Okay. Well, you know, I think, I think, I think kind of going along with that, I think we, as Christians, we need, we need to draw the line at, okay, what is actually compromising the gospel? If, exactly. if it's not compromising the gospel, then in my opinion, we should debate it together uh -huh. and we should discuss it and we should go back to scripture because obviously we, we want all of our beliefs to line up with God's word, but we don't kick somebody out unless they're literally preaching a false gospel. And I think that, I think that that's the key. And I think it's really yeah. easy. Um, cause I've even seen, you know, some of the blowback that I got for having Michael Brown on my podcast 
and you know and you know he clearly explained the gospel but he and i blatantly disagree on a lot of his views on like his charismatic theology and how far he takes it sometimes and some of the people that he endorses and that and that's fair and i feel like that's a debate that we can have but i'm not willing to call him a false teacher because he still believes that somebody can have the gift of miracles right Right. whereas if he was actually out there teaching like a works-based gospel or if he was teaching the prosperity gospel or something like that that's when i'd be like okay we're drawing the line yeah exactly now let me be clear. I mean, there there are certain doctrines that we that we won't compromise in uh, uh, the Trinity, the deity of the uh, uh, of Jesus, the person personhood and deity of the Holy Spirit, uh, salvation by justification, uh, the virgin birth of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Those are doctrines that uh, those are no compromise. Those are essentials. Those are the ones that we just say, yeah, this and no farther. But even if somebody does question that. It, that, that that is professing to be a Christian, and they question one of those doctrines, I'm not going to say, you're a heretic, get out. I'm going to say, I'm going to ask them, why do you feel this way? Or why do you believe this way? Uh, and actually try to get to understand what they're, where they're coming from. Maybe they've been taught wrong. You know? Uh, maybe they have uh, a presupposition that they haven't been able to get rid of. Uh, or preconception, excuse me, that they can't get rid of. Uh, I had that with with uh, with Calvinism for a long time. I had a, a preconception about one of the one of the points that a I couldn't find an answer to, and uh, when I did find the answer to it, I was just like, oh, well, was that simple? Okay, you know, uh, and that that actually was limited atonement. That was where I was just hung up yeah. until uh, somebody explained the 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 uh, the proof text that Armenians used to disprove uh, universal atonement or to disprove limited atonement and I went oh well that makes sense so uh, but ultimately you have to talk to the person you have to have a, a conversation with the person and you have to see where they're coming from I, I in the, uh, I'll give an example. In the aftermath of Strange Fire, nobody from the Grace Community Church camp uh, was interested in dialoguing. They were interested in pontificating. They did not want to discuss it. Uh, it was very simply, uh, John MacArthur has said it. That settles it. I believe it. It's over. And, I, and I'm like, well, then. And then you might as well be a Jehovah's Witness if that's going to be your attitude, because you know that's that's my father's attitude towards anything regarding them, unless they change it. Meaning they, meaning the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. So when you close the door to dialogue, there's there's no way that you can expand your audience, and which is what you know one of the issues with Justin Peters denying a debate with with Michael Brown, I'm like thinking, well, here you have a chance. You have an opportunity to speak to people who follow these teachers and you don't want to do it. And yet on your Twitter handle or your Twitter description is the office of evangelist. Are you serious? That's not an evangelist. An evangelist will take any opportunity to speak the truth of God. Uh, 
Yeah, so that's what I, I just don't understand this this slamming the door on people. Yeah. You know, yeah, you may not agree with, with Michael Brown, and that's fine, and you may think that Michael Brown is is dishonest uh, or disingenuous or whatever, but you should still talk to him. Uh, how many times has James White debated Muslims? You know, how many times have I heard uh, Walter Martin debate Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, Christian scientists and, and atheists and get the gospel still gets out and it still touches people. I mean, Walter Martin's been dead over 30 years now and his debates still are out there and they're still touching people. So you don't know what, you know, what could happen, what kind of fruit you're going to get by having a discussion or a debate with somebody that you don't necessarily agree with, right. especially in the public, in the public sphere. Right. Because no, well. you're not going to change that person's mind, the person you're debating. Mm-hmm. But it, but you're you're not doing the debate for him. You're doing the debate for the audience, so the audience can, can see. And debates have helped me. That's exact. That's exactly what I was going to say too. Is is that I think oftentimes a lot of the people that we see, like what I always call like the establishment, um, or people that are in like quote unquote leadership, they see the they see the other people that they would be debating as you know, that's the target, right? So that, so, so they're like, is it worth to go debate Michael Brown? I'm never going to, I'm never going to convince him. So what's the point? But going through the process, going through the intellectual exercise of taking what they're saying and then refuting it with a superior argument, that could have huge benefit to the people watching the debate. And because if you have the truth on your side, which, I mean, both sides believe that they do, and, you know, Justin believes that he has the truth on his side, and that's completely fair, then you should have no problem with coming and saying, look, here's the truth. I provide a superior argument, and then let let the audience decide, okay, I'm going to take what Justin said, compare it with Scripture. I'm going to take what Dr. Brown said, compare it with Scripture, and then figure out, okay, what's true and what's not. And I think that taking that away and saying i'm not going to debate you because you believe x y and z to me is defeating the purpose of even having a debate and you're and you're taking away that opportunity for somebody to actually hear your perspective and what you believe is the biblical truth exactly you know um and this is this is not uh an interfaith discussion these are all inter you know these are all in-house battles, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I would, you know, gather the same kind of benefit from hearing a debate between a Calvinist and an Arminian, uh, you know, any, any, any debate because, uh, I want to know, I'm not there to root for a specific guy. I mean, I, there's been times, uh, like I've heard a lot of James White's debates and for the most part, he, he cleans up his opponents, and uh, I just I do remember the one debate that I think he lost, you know, because he didn't have the superior art, the superior argument, uh, and uh, and it all it all comes down to as you were saying, it's if you have the truth on your side, okay, then you should not be afraid, and, I, and it's not that I think Justin Peters is afraid, 
I think what Justin – no, let me rephrase that. I think Justin Peters is afraid, but I don't think he's afraid of Jim uh, Michael Brown. I think he's afraid of everybody else in his circle. That's what I think he's afraid of because Tim Hurd and J.D. Hall and uh, Phil Johnson, uh, I'm sure they'll have, they would have something to say uh, about that kind of a debate. And it would not be positive, especially coming from Hall and Hurd. That would definitely not be positive. Uh, I mean, you had Michael Brown on your, on your, on your show. Was it the next day? JD Hall comes out with your, uh, he, he revoked your discernment card. Yeah, pretty and much. It's like, yeah, I'm like, why? Because he had the guy on and because he actually had a discussion with him? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, okay. Well, you can go sit up there in your mobile home and be happy. Yep. You know, in Pennsylvania and, and do whatever you do over there and off we go. Yep. But it's not, you know, you exposed your audience. Um, he exposed his audience. Because I'm sure he had some of the audience members coming to hear what you had to say. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a win-win, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But mm-hmm. we can't go around saying we won't debate, you know, because um, it's just not, it's just not, uh, it's not conducive. It's not conducive to a healthy relationship yeah. at all. You know, it's this, it's this tribalism that we see in politics in the world coming to roost in the church it's just that's that's all it is and i don't i don't like that and i will fight it i will defend my you know people that i consider uh in my camp i'll defend them so long as they're right but if they're wrong i'm going to turn around and say hey i think you're wrong on this you know and i know you've done that to me right okay Mm -hmm. it's not fun when it happens (laughs) But, you know, it does happen, you know, that sometimes we get carried away in the moment or or we have a blind spot that we don't see. And and I think in Michael, in Michael Brown's case, I think he has a a big blind spot to his friends. You know, that's nothing new. I mean, we recently saw that up in Sun Valley, a huge blind spot to his friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a, it's not a, it's just a thing. It's a human thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But and I, th- and I think the thing that we can remember too is like when we look at. Again, I'm going off the top of my head, but I believe it's Acts 17 when it's talking about Paul going into the synagogue and reasoning with people. Um, right. Like he he was. Re- I'm sure he was reasoning with the leaders, and but then we see examples of people that were witnessing him reasoning with these leaders actually come into saving faith. And I feel like that's kind of the the perspective that we should be taking is we take an opportunity. I mean, I'm like, and this is just me, you know, throwing things out there. But like, if Benny Hinn called me and was like, hey, you want to do a debate over charismatic theology? I'm like, uh, yeah, let's do it. Because that's an opportunity to get in front of his audience. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, I'll have a superior argument to his and it'll mm-hmm. open some eyes. Again, not anything based on me, but based on the Holy Spirit and working through that and that sort of thing. And I think that that's something that I think that we can we can all remember, you know, whether it's on a big scale like that or on a small scale just individually when somebody comes and has questions or whatever it is. Um, and so the, the one thing I wanted to ask you kind of as, as we're wrapping up a bit too, but it how – so you have your experience of coming out of a cult, of coming out of Jehovah's Witness – and then mm-hmm. we're seeing s- 
some similar tactics and what you were describing as like brainwashing and that sort of thing that are happening within evangelicalism as well. What should people that are, you know, just the everyday church person, what should they know or keep an eye out for in the sense of some of those tactics that are being used? So that way they can be sure that they're not being suckered, they're not being uh, manipulated or something along those lines. That's a great question. Uh, I will always say ask questions. And the response that you get to your questions should be the determining factor of whether or not you're in a in a in a healthy church or an unhealthy church, uh, an unhealthy church that is maybe high control, because uh, if they don't want to answer questions about whatever, let's say you have a question about the building fund. You know, where exactly is this money going to? I'm not really clear. And if they come across defensive and don't want to answer those questions, then you have then you have the right to say, wait a second, let's take a step back and let's reevaluate. If they don't want to uh, be questioned about any kind of leadership decision. Uh, Anything that would be that they might consider a threat to their power, then you know you're in a bad situation, and I would you know recommend that you leave. And and it 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 just comes down to that is is that can you ask questions, and can you get honest answers? If you can't do either of those, then it's time to consider moving on to a, to another fellowship. And uh, and when you leave, leave quietly. Just go. You know, don't cause a scene. Don't advocate a split. Don't do anything like that. Don't be divisive. Just uh, you know, present your reasons and and then go. Uh, I did that. A couple churches that I left because not because of those issues, but there were some other doctrine issues and I just didn't feel that we could uh, reconcile them. And I just went to the pastor and I just said, I don't think this is a fit for me and I appreciate the time that I've been here and I appreciate what you've done for me, but I need to find someplace else to go. And then just go and leave it at that. And so uh, those, those that would be A, what to look for and then B, what to do. I always recommend, again, just leave quietly, leave with a good testimony. Don't leave... Uh, badly, uh, if they decide to pursue you, then you know you have other options that are open to you on that. But for the most part, most churches won't pursue you, and and even if they do mark you as a divisive person just because you've left, don't sweat it. Just let it go. Uh, I it doesn't bother me, and, and it really shouldn't bother you. And uh, do that, and then uh, the most important thing too would be to pray. You know, pray. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe God wants you there for a purpose. I know I had prayed a long time about my Pentecostal church. Uh, I wanted to leave there for a long time, and God, you know, I felt kept uh, being told no. I had to stay, 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 and then eventually, then the, it was like time to go. I could. You know, I knew it. And uh, that's a charismatic thing. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well you, you, you can tell when the Holy Spirit is prompting you to 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 do one thing or another. You you, you can you can see those things and and uh, and and it's just you know be be an adult about stuff. You know, just just move on. You know, and I I don't talk about my old churches uh, mainly because I don't I don't find a need to. You know. So, uh, if they were doing something really untoward, then I would I would do that. And uh, mm-hmm. there were some issues that I did bring out. I, I did blog for a while after I left uh, church, uh, and I brought out some issues uh, that I felt needed to be addressed. But I haven't been writing on a blog in almost ten years now, I guess. So uh, those issues were were addressed and. I felt they needed to be be out there, and then I moved on. Yeah. And so now it's just being an average guy now, you know. And I don't mind it. I like I like not having, I like kind of not being in leadership, <laughs> you know, and just being able to go and 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 do the do the things that I need to do. But uh, you know, although I will say writing that article. Uh, did get the juices flowing so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well you know you know the thing the thing with like you writing that article it, you know it it really caught on a lot a lot of people were following it and i think it resonated with people because i think i think people i think people are seeing some of those tactics happening in the church and i think right. i think it's important that i think it's important that people understand what to look for but then also are able to identify it when it's actually happening. And mm-hmm. I, I know it's not easy for a lot of people to accept, especially if it's one of their favorite pastors that's doing it. Um, but I think we also have to remember too, as Christians, we need to be obeying God's word. We need to be uh, defending truth wherever that takes us and, and understand that we do have blind spots and to be aware of them and not mm-hmm. let those blind spots um or try not to let those blind spots, you know, keep us from pursuing truth and defending truth and that sort of thing, or looking the other way when it's our favorite guy or our friend, you know, doing it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed your article, and I'm 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 glad it got you going again with a with the writing with the writing bug. So, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think uh, one other thing is that uh, so many individual churches are built up on the the cult of the pastor and and i don't mean cult in the in the in the negative term but that 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 cult of personality when it comes to you know that pastor being up there every week you know week in week out and doing all the preaching that's one of the things i'm kind of no not kind of i'm very happy uh about it's a church that i have um we have we don't have a senior pastor model we have um we have three elders and they all three of them rotate preaching, uh, and it's and what I like about it is that as we do expository through a book, you get three different perspectives on the book, and that's been very interesting uh, as they bring their own personality and their life experiences into their preaching, and it's not just one person, and so there's not a a uh, 
a feeling of this is so-and-so's church because I, I, I've heard so many times, uh, well, that's John MacArthur's church or that's Jack Hayford's church or uh, Skip Bayless's church or Raul Reese's church or Xavier Reese's church. It's like that, that, I don't think that's really what we should be doing. We shouldn't have this this celebrity kind of thing. And having celebrity is is a bad thing. I'm kind of seeing that now with the demise of Calvary Chapel. Since when Chuck Smith passed, uh, they've split, which I had told some friends I had a feeling that they were going to split. So they, there was a split. And it's sad to see because I I learned a lot from the Calvary Chapel uh, teachers from Chuck Smith and Raul Reese and, and Xavier Reese and, and uh, even Greg Laurie. I learned learned some things, but uh, having that 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 one person leading that's a, a, it, it leads to that kind of a thing, you know. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't like it. I think that's why when Paul set up the instructions for Titus, it was to pick elders, plural. So not one of them was to be the the, the teaching pastor or whatever you want to call it now. I think that they were all supposed to be up there to teach. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that's, I believe, the, a more balanced view and a more biblical view. Yeah. Somebody has a different opinion. I'll listen. Doesn't mean I'll agree, but I'll listen. Yeah. You know? Right. But uh, yeah. Well, I think the, uh, I think I, but I think I think we saw that exemplified with like the with the demise of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill was that they put all their eggs in his basket, and then when sorry. he went down, I mean Mars Hill is literally no more. And it's very rare that you see like a megachurch when the senior pastor either passes away or he resigns or he moves on or whatever it is where they continue on because they have to find somebody as dynamic or as entertaining as the previous guy. And then they just kind of implode from there. Whereas yeah. if, if, if instead, if we focus on, instead of trying to build up a mega church around a celebrity pastor, let's have plurality of elders. Let's keep small churches. If you start growing too big, split off into two churches and you know, that way you can actually minister with people. You can actually walk through life with people. And I think that that's hard when you are dealing with a celebrity pastor who's, I mean, practically speaking, has to be removed from everybody else because he can't minister to 5,000 people. Right. Right. So. Yeah, that's, that's important. Um, or the other thing, the other thing that I, I did not know and I learned about a, about six months ago, uh, at least with, with some Calvary chapels, is the sons are taking over. Then it's like, wait a second, I don't recall that being biblical. Right. You know, you know, that, 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 okay, uh, my daddy was the pastor, now I'm going to take over? Really? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. And so that's kind of that that's very disturbing to me because you know what we don't know who this guy is and I'm seeing it in, in some other churches that that don't have a biblical model for leadership uh, so it, it, that's a disturbing trend that I that I'm seeing and uh, I don't like her at all right but uh, you know again as far as the senior pastor goes yeah me, uh, mega church. Sur, you know, surrounded by or, or focused on one one person is just—it's not—it's not healthy. It's not right. good. Right. Uh, and and you you shouldn't be a mega church anyway. Uh, like on the church that I go to, 
when we start getting around 100, when we start getting over 150, we start looking for uh, somebody to lead the next congregation. And then when we get to around 200, those 100 people, they get they get sent out with the uh, with a new pastor, and then he leads up. And the other thing too is that no senior pastor leads up his own his own elders. Because that's another area where there's danger because now the elders are in a position to be beholden to the senior pastor. So in our model, uh, the people that are recommend or the men that are recommended to be elders are actually voted on by the church. And while that I kind of see some problems with, I don't feel as bad because I feel that there's a level of uh, accountability now. They, now they know who they're accountable to. They're accountable to the congregation and not the senior pastor. Right. So that's, um, you know, there's a lot of things I could go on and on about, but um, my biggest thing is just, you know, let, let's uh, focus on the essentials, but let's focus on those. Let's not get horribly tribal. And I've been guilty of being tribal. I'll admit that to my shame. Um, and, uh, and just try to put the message out about Jesus and, and his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's it. Those are, that's the only thing that counts. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Well, Derek, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we could have this talk. It was it was great to you know hear your story and how you know God saved you out of Jehovah's Witness and you know brought you to saving faith and just kind of your journey and that sort of thing. So I really Thanks. appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's my pleasure, Jeff. Anytime. Definitely. And then and then for everybody else as well, if you guys. Um, you know, you know, want to keep up on this podcast, make sure you're liking us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube and that sort of thing as well. Um, and then also don't forget that we do have um, our uh, upcoming book, Social Injustice, which is going to be coming out um, hopefully next month. And uh, if you, you can still pre-order. Pre-orders are probably going to be closing here pretty soon. But if you go use the code Jeff, you guys can make sure you get a free audiobook version of the book read um, by each of the authors themselves. So it's pretty cool. But Again, um, go like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, we've got some more podcasts coming up down the road. And we shall see you guys. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. 
Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org.